Well, good morning, everybody. God is good. He loves us so very, very much. And he cares about us. Boy, I tell you, it's been an interesting week. I don't know. How about you guys? An interesting week. You know, it's just one thing after another, but then the Lord's just bringing us through, you know, everything we encounter. And he loves us very, very much, very much. Well, we're going to um, continue our study <clears throat> through Galatians. And is this too loud? I think I'll push it away. Is that good? Okay. How's that? <laughs> right. Hey, if I get too loud, someone raise their hands. <laughs> That's what I said the other night on the, on the computer, on the online class. So if I get too loud, someone said, no, don't worry, I'll just turn you down. <laughs> Well, we're going to go into Galatians, so turn in your Bibles to Galatians, and we're going to spend a, a little bit of time uh, covering chapter 2. <clears throat> Lord willing, we should be able to, to cover that, so, uh, but let's pray. Let's ask God's um, his blessing on his word to our hearts and to our minds. Father, we want to thank you very much uh, for an opportunity today to sit together as a family and to open your word and simply uh, listen to what you have to say. I pray that all of us will be moved aside and let the Holy Spirit teach us uh, as we patiently and as we um, obediently listen to what you have to say. So thank you very much for your wonderful word. And like the, we sung today, it's all about you. So we pray that you would be magnified and lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, um, about 1,958 years ago, Paul writing this epistle uh, to the churches that were spread out all over uh, Galatia. Uh, now, remember, Nero was the uh, Roman Caesar at the time. He was the world leader. Um, and here we have a defense of the gospel. And in writing in this record that's here for us, uh, is doctrine. So we have a lot of doctrine that's in there. And this are, these are things that we need to live and we need to heed by. So it's beautiful to see what Paul did. Now, last time we were together, last month, we met in Galatians. And one of the points that we focused on was in the first chapter. And just look at verse 11 and 12. And refresh our mind. As this is where we, we were uh, looking at, one of the things that we focused on was verse 11 and 12. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we see Paul called by God to preach and teach to the Gentiles of his age. Okay? They were bound in sin, and they were in this ugly, destructive, ugly, destructive power of sin. The Gentiles were. The Gentiles were raising their families and going about life without the knowledge of Jesus Christ and without the knowledge of what he could do for them. So just imagine that. They had no clue. These Gentiles in, in Paul's time had no clue that Jesus was sent from heaven to set them free. So what does God do? 
God prepares Paul. Jesus sends Paul out to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, Paul being a Jewish rabbi, okay, who converted to Christianity, had to get the gospel just right. There could be no room, okay, for a distorting, there, there could be no room for a legalistic, works-oriented twist or addition to the true gospel. And this is what he had to bring to the Gentiles. Amazing, isn't it? Then, after 14 years, verse 1 of chapter 2, follow along with me there. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might have run or had run in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for one hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind that many were advocating that a Christ plus works circumcision and salvation was what they were trying to get people to believe in. This Paul had to deal with. So it had to be dealt with and it had to be settled. So the Holy Spirit used Paul. Notice here the time period. Paul did not just begin this ministry right after his salvation. It took time with his training and bringing him up in the Old Testament scriptures when he was a rabbi. All of that took time and so did this. Notice also, Paul ran into a crucial problem. He ran into a problem with legalists in the church. He called them false brethren with an agenda, and notice what their agenda was, to bring the people into bondage, which if left unchecked, guys, if he would have left this unchecked, it would have destroyed so much of Paul's work in teaching the true message of the gospel as we have it today. So can you imagine if he would have just let that go? Now, as Acts 15, in Acts 15 it explains, listen to this in verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is what Paul had to deal with. Now, this, what we just read in Acts 15 verse 1, is not the gospel. So, Paul in verse 2 here that we read, 
it says here in verse 2, and I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Now follow this. Paul had a private Bible study, a Bible class on the gospel with Peter, with James, with John, and others of leadership. And he did this so he can have, see, he did it privately so he could answer any rebuttals that they might have had. Okay? So Paul was explaining the gospel to them, and he was defending the gospel to them in this private little Bible class. And I would have loved to have been in that Bible class. Too bad we don't have a recording of that. That would have been cool. I wonder how heated he got. <laughs> I don't know. Paul's, uh, he's not an easygoing guy sometimes. He's, uh, he's defending the faith. Now, Paul was, what says here, Paul's running in vain in verse 2. Did you see that? It says that lest I run in vain. Paul's running in vain here. What he's trying to say here would have been if they would have not agreed with the truth of the gospel. There's a nice private Bible class, sat down with the guys there, and he started going over what he was teaching the Gentiles. And hey, if you guys got anything to say about it, you need to speak up about it here so we can discuss it. So that's what he was talking about here. Now, verse 3 wonderfully shows that their agreement, all right, their agreement with the truth of the gospel, without works, without circumcision, and without keeping the law. Did you see that in verse 3? Where he says here, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Now, who came in? It says here, listen here, it says, that we have to understand that in verse 4 here, the effect and purpose of such false teachings. Look at the effect and the purpose of these false teachings in verse 4. Who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Jesus came to set them free Man came to put them into bondage. That's what was going on here. Listen to John chapter 8, and I want to read verse 31 and verse 36. So let's turn to John real quick. And this is to see how important to be in the truth, how important it is to be in the truth in order to be free and not in bondage, and not in bondage. Chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, let's look at verse 31. Chapter 8, verse 31, speaking about being free. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin 
is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Thank God for Paul's strong, determined heart to take the truth of the gospel of grace to this very level and taking it to the guys in Jerusalem. Now, may we live the way that Paul did as we approach the gospel of Christ when we are confronted by other things that want to lead us away from the gospel of Christ. If someone else comes to us with anything other than the gospel of grace in order to have a right relationship with God, guess what, guys? We want to stand against that. You want to stand like Paul did against uh, those false type of teachings. So back to Paul's private Bible study in Jerusalem. Okay, look at verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the, for the uncircumcision had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively or mightily in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, notice in verse 6, no favoritism. No favoritism. There's nobody that God has any favor on someone other than somebody else. I don't care who they are. We can all come to God equally on the same level. Doesn't matter who you are, how great you might think you are, or how low you might think you are. Also in verse 6, no one at this private Bible study had anything to add to the gospel of grace. Okay, so the heavyweights, the big guys, the ones that walked with Jesus all those years and, and seen everything happen, if anybody would have had anything to say, hey, time out, Paul, time out, you're going down the wrong road, you need to add this, you need to put this twist into it, or whatever, nobody had anything. He said nothing to add. I love that part. So if anybody comes up these days, you know, and says, hey, I got something to add, tell them, no, sorry, that's not going to work. Look at verse 7. Peter was given, okay, in, in verse 7, it says here, let me read that one, one more time. <clears throat> Excuse me, right here in uh, verse 7, it says, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. I love that. All right, Peter was given the Jews to minister to. Paul was given the Gentiles to minister to. So I think that would cover pretty much everybody on the planet. 
right? So what about us? What about us today? Okay? God has a special place for you, and God has a special place for me to minister to out in the world that we live in. Okay? So it's, it's important that we take this gospel to wherever we go in the world that God places us, guys. That's the gospel that we take to the world that we go out to. Paul, in verse 7, was strongly committed to what was committed to him. Did you see that in verse 7? It says, for he, um, excuse me, it says, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, and Paul was in Jerusalem in this little Bible study, committed to the gospel. So he was committed to what God had committed to him. What has God committed to you? And how committed are you to what God has committed to you? You know, there's a lot of truth coming out of this church here. It's a lot of Bible studies, a lot of teachings, and you're learning a lot. What has God committed into your hands? And whatever it is, be committed to it. Don't let the distractions of this world take you away from what God has placed in your hands and in your life. Do you know that what God has placed in your hands and in your life is not a temporal thing? It just doesn't last 50, 60, 70, 80, how old are you? 90 years. It's not, it's eternal. What God is giving you, and not only is it eternal, it is for your benefit. You may not see it now, but it is for your benefit. I love it. I love what he does. I love what he does. So be committed to that. Now, Paul states, okay, that it was God who was doing the work. Did you see that in verse 8? For he who worked effectively or mightily in Peter, for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively or mightily in me toward the Gentiles. Okay? So, it was God who was doing all the work. Okay? Now, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. Go a few books, four books, the fourth book forward. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 2. Okay? And, and tell us, it's going to tell us what is working in us, which shows the vital importance needed for us to stay in God's word as much as possible. Let me say that again. What we're going to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, tells us what is working in us, what it is that's working in us, which shows the vital importance needed for us to stay close to God and in God's word. Verse 13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is truth, as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The word of God is working mightily inside of you. That is why it is vitally important to stay in God's word every single day. Do you want God to work in your life? Yes, I do. Well, then what do I need 
Do I need to do something? You need to let the word of God work in your life. How do we let God's word work in our life? By hearing the word of God and by obeying the word of God. And then God's word begins to go through your mind and clean out the clutter that's in there. I got a lot of clutter in there. And then that the word goes into your heart and it begins to soften those hardened places that you never thought would ever be softened up. And then all of a sudden, the word of God gets in your hands and you begin to do a work for God that has nothing to do with what am I going to get out of this. It has to do with a love because the heart's been touched. And then the word of God moves down into the feet and you begin to be a vessel that moves all through this word, taking the gospel and defending it and sharing the love of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. And that's what it does there. That's what the word does. Amazing, isn't it? Now, a former general of Alexander the Great, his name was Seleucius back in 300 B.C. Fred, you remember those days, right? 300 B.C., he founded a city called Antioch, and it was located in south-central Turkey, not California. It was south-central Turkey. It was here in Antioch, okay, that uh, after Stephen was stoned uh, in Acts chapter 7, which we went over on Wednesday night uh, with our Acts class, uh, in Jerusalem he was stoned. We see that in verse 7 that persecution increased in Judea, the, the, the Judean Christians dispersed, and Antioch was one of the cities that they went to, okay? And then, of course, the Antioch Christian Fellowship started, <laughs> okay? So I think a dove was put over the door over there in the church of Antioch or something, okay? So it was also here, guys, in Antioch that we were first called Christians. Wow, what a history. I love being called a Christian. Isn't that nice? I had a guy the other day I was witnessing to telling me about all the other countries turning into a, a Christian nation, and we talked about that and things like that. Do you know that some countries you go to, you say you're a Christian, you're arrested. <laughs> you know, you, if you go to some countries and say, hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Oh, everything's fine. Welcome into my country. Okay, this is our, our culture, this is our people, and uh, hey, I'm a Christian. Hey, you're going to jail. <laughs> Just that simple, you know, if you even make it to jail. So here in Antioch, we have a revival is spread. So a revival is spread here. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is doing a great work. Barnabas shows up there in Antioch, so, and, and he needed help. So what does he do? He, do? he goes to Tarsus. Interesting place, right? I remember that somewhere in the Bible, Tarsus. Okay, anyway, so he goes to Tarsus, and he gets Paul, all right? Uh, he gets Paul, and then they get back to Antioch together, and they teach many people in that city. They teach many people in that city. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, verse 11, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Huh, that's pretty cool. I like that, right? Sitting around with the guys, doesn't matter who you are. Well, when they came, the Jews, right? They came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Bar Barnabas, even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw 
that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Amazing, amazing. That's a good question. I wonder what Peter's answer was in that one. Now, Paul had already dealt with this subject, and we saw that. Well, we talked a little bit about that in Acts 15. They had a meeting. They had a council. They talked about the Jews. They talked about the Gentiles. They talked about this. Peter was there. Okay? Peter, Peter also, God had dealt with Peter himself with Cornelius, which I know we're going to get to in a couple of weeks, right, Josh, in Acts chapter 10. All right, here we got Cornelius. God's dealing with him. The sheet comes down. The food is there. Goes to Cornelius. Helps people get saved. Jews, Gentiles, they're hanging out together. So what's up with Peter here? What happened to Peter? Would you forget? Peter. Now, wait a minute. Sometimes it takes, sometimes it takes time to overcome our biases and our prejudices. It takes revisiting and confronting how we view the gospel. The word of truth will get us back on track whenever we're off track, even for the great apostle Peter. So when you come to church and you hear the same thing over again or someone tells you the same thing over again, just take it and just run with what God is leading you in the word of God because he's trying to get us right back on track or keep us straight on the straight and narrow, straightforward as what the gospel is. Peter, who stood against the great Sanhedrin. We went over that too a few weeks ago, right, Josh? Peter, who stood against the great Sanhedrin and preached a great sermon in Acts chapter 4, is now afraid of a few legalistic Jews who don't want to eat with Gentiles in Antioch. They're not even in Jerusalem where all the pressure is. <laughs> Oh, my brother, Peter, fearing these guys. Do you know that Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. Have you ever tried to trap an animal? I haven't yet. <laughs> Raccoons, I tell you. But you put a trap out there. But why did you put the trap out there? Why did you put the trap out there? Well, because they're hanging around. They, I don't want them in my garbage and messing around, kill my chickens. I ain't got no chickens yet, but they'll kill your chickens if you let them. So I, I bring that trap out there. I bring that snare out there because of that. The fear of man will bring a trap, will bring a snare. And here Peter is fearing these guys. But whoever trusts, it's the end of verse 25 of Proverbs 29, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. <laughs> and that's exactly where I want to be. Here's a warning. Here's a warning. When we stand for the gospel, expect peer pressure confrontations. <laughs> okay? You may have fear of the loss of a job, position, status. This can and most likely will result as we stand for the truth of the gospel. 
but are we willing to stand? Now, I want to give you a definition of a word. It's called justified. Okay, we're going to read about that word in a minute. Now, justified means this. Try to get this definition. Someone says, I'm justified. It means declared righteous before God's justice system as it relates to our sin nature and various sins that we've committed. Now, in our B.C. days, our before Christ days, we were sinners needing a Savior, right? A Savior who can stand in our place. That's what we needed. Why? So God our Father can declare us righteous. God is the only one who can declare us justified. So Jesus had to stand in our place so the Father can declare us righteous over every sin and wrongdoing, okay, that we have ever done or ever will do. <laughs> now, are works involved here with these false brethren that they're teaching? You know, now, are works involved here as these false brethren are teaching? Okay, now. But to him who does not work, okay, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Did you see that? But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Romans 4, verse 5. Now let's look at verse 15 back in our text. We are Jews by nature. Okay, remember Paul talking to Peter? We are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. As someone would stand before God in doing some work to be justified or doing some kind of a work to be right with God or doing some kind of work to be in a right relationship with God, their work will account for nothing. You see that? So God has done all of the work. He's the one who has done it all. And, and it's all for us that he did the work for because he loves us. And we can be just and we can be right with God because of the work he has done. Hmm. Paul tells all of the Jewish legalistic readers here, right here, he tells them, for by the works of the law, and that must have really hit these guys because that's all they knew. To be right with God, I got to do. In order to have a relationship with God, I have to do. He says here, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Very, very interesting. Verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, 
we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Now, verse 17 gets a little interesting. It says, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Verse 17, Jesus is not advocating sinning. He's not advocating sinning. He's just making a statement. You are a sinner. Now, look at how strong in verse 18, strong wording, how strong wording that he uses. Look at verse 18. Paul uses very strong words here. <clears throat> he says, if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Now, people who are advocating keeping the law to be justified by God are actually transgressing. Just look at, that's, that's kind of strong. That's, that's kind of strong. Look at it again. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Wow, is that strong or what? So think about this. Those that are saying you have to do in order to get from God, you have to build this, this relationship of works with God, and you'll be okay. You're actually not okay. You're actually transgressing. And that's what Paul said. Hey, I'm actually a transgressor. They are willfully sinning in disobedience to God's word on that subject. That's what he says. All right, transgressing, willfully sinning. Now, verse 19, he says that he's, he died to the law. Did you see that? For I, through the law, died to the law. Dying to the law, not keeping the law, not keeping the law, dying to the law, not keeping the law, allows Paul to live for God. You see that? It says, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. How many of us want to live for God? Well, I do. Well, in order to live for God, guess what? I'm not going to live according to the law. So the people that I've ran into in my day and age, not Paul's day and age, but my day and age, and these people live by a works-type relationship with God. These guys are not living... For God, they're transgressing against the obedience of what they know is the truth of the gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just, you know, God has made a relationship with him beautiful, and he's made it simple. Verse 20, I have been crucified. Paul says, <clears throat> I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's not? No. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. Who lives in you? Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live, I now live today in the flesh, I live by faith, not works. I live by doing, nope, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When was Jesus crucified? A.D. 33, right? Who did he die for? Died for us, right? Now, did he take, did he take your place on that cross? Oh, yeah, he sure did. Did he rise again? Oh, without a doubt, he did. By believing in Jesus, our old life died. Our old life is crucified with his. He rose, right? It crucified with his. And what you see now is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There has been an exchange of life. Our old one is gone. The new one is here. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. I've been created new. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And I got to ask myself that question. Has all those old things been passed away? And has all things been made new? Because if it hasn't, I need to stop. I need to turn my TV off. I need to turn the lights down a little bit low. I need to say, honey, I got a meeting with Jesus. And I got to say, Lord, we need to do business together. Old things, have they been passed away? All things become new? That's what I want. That's the life I want. And Paul makes it very plain. And he says here, look at that verse again. He, at the end there, he says, I now live. Yes, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. That was then, A.D. 33. Rich Montgomery, that life is on the cross. I'm a new creation. And it's by faith that I live. But guess what? It says, I now live. How do you live now? Do you live the very same way that you came to know him? That's how we should be living. Paul said it. I live now by the faith. That's how I live. So what has happened to me on the cross changed my entire life. And I'm dead, gone. And now there's a new life. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. And I now live that way. So the very expressions of my life and everything I do should be having that faith, living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know that if I could take away from you something that was very vital for you so that you would not accomplish your goal, let's say um, you came to work for Josh and Josh says, okay, I'm hanging drywall. You're going to work for me. And I didn't like you, man. I, I'm going to mess him up. So what do I do? I take his hammer and hide it. <laughs> you know, use screw guns or whatever you use. And the guy ain't got no tools, man. I can't do the job. 
Well, the enemy would love to do that with us. And you know, one of the things he likes to take away from us so we can't do the job is he takes away the fact that God loves us. But what does Paul say here? He says, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know why? Because the power of God's love, you knowing the, that God loves you, that power has amazing abilities to accomplish many tasks that God sends you out to do. So I'm going to give you a little homework to do today or when you get a minute, and I want you to do it. And if you do this, I bet you, well, I don't bet. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I don't bet. I don't. But I assure you, it's going to change your life. And you're like, Rich, what are you going to give me? Okay, two, it's not going to cost you any money. <laughs> I want you to get a piece of paper, 8 by 11. I want you to take this paper with, with, with dark marker, dark marker, and I want you to write on it. I want you to write on it. I love you and put your name there. I love you, Richard. And I want you to sign it at the bottom, God. And then I want you to take it and put it on your refrigerator. For me, because I'm always going in it. Or in your bathroom. And I want you to just hang it there for a little bit. And every time you go in there, I, I'm, I'm, it's going to change your life. Because it's going to say, from God, I love you, Richard. I love you, David. I love you, Diane. You're going to see it. Holy Spirit's going to speak to your heart. Because he has to mine. I've already tried it, guys. It works. I look at it and I go, oh, Lord, I know you do. And that love, what does that love do? I'm telling you that love empowers you to accomplish the tasks, the jobs that you have to do. But if the devil can take that away and say, oh, no, God don't love you. Oh, no, don't you see what you did? Mm -mm 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 -mm. He don't love you. He's just dealing with you. He's just, you know, putting up with you. He has to. He's God. No, 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 <laughs> no. Mm -mm. But I just didn't. No, that's okay. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm living by faith. But I, I, no, no, no. I saw it with Peter. I saw what happened with Peter. He went through all of that, and he still had some work to be done on him. Well, that's me. Okay, got it. I got it. I got it. All right, let's close here because I'm almost out of time. There's been an exchange of life. Even after salvation, everything else I do and how I live and how I view doing life is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, and we're done. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. These legalistic Jews were laying aside the grace of God. We're not going to do that. If any other way aside from belief in Jesus alone is trusted for being right with God, that nullifies his glorious death on his cross for that person. 
and that person will stand in his or her own sin, not covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want to go there. You do not want to leave this earth there because you don't have enough money in the bank to pay your way out of hell. It's already been paid for by what was done on the cross. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Here ends chapter 2, Galatians. We'll get into chapter 3 next month. But let's ask God's blessing as uh, someone can go and get um, the, uh, the band, the group. <laughs> and let's ask God's blessing. Father, we want to thank you very much for the second chapter of Galatians. Antioch must have really been a happening place for the gospel. Paul had to deal with so many things. I mean, how he juggled so many things and standing strong to the gospel and making that 300-mile trip all the way to Jerusalem to have that Bible study with the heavyweights of the, of the faith. And Father, he stood strong because the Holy Spirit in him was working mightily. He was committed to what you gave him. Help us to do the same. Help us to be committed to all that you gave us. Help us, Lord, to look at your word as the living word of God that is able to get into our heart and change it. Able to get into our mind and change it. It's able to take our biases, our prejudices towards the view of the gospel and change it and make it right. It is able to empower us to work the works of God with our hands for you on this earth. The word of God is able to get in us and work all the way to our feet that we take this gospel so far. Father, we will go through this week with this chapter on our heart. I pray a blessing on everyone, and I pray that you remind us to take that paper out and write on there our name and that you love us and sign it with your name at the bottom and put it somewhere we could see it every day, three, four, five times a day. Empower us this week to overcome those things we had problems with last week and give us victory every step of the way. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.